Hey, how are you? Good. Everybody awake and alive and well? You're all rested up? You got an extra hour of sleep or you did what I did? You knew you had an extra hour, so you stayed up an hour later, so it pretty much canceled itself out, and I'm back on the normal schedule again. Is that what y'all did? That's what a lot of us, a lot of us do. It's good to see you. Hey, aren't you thankful that God uh, gifts people in different ways? And aren't you thankful that God blesses people to be able to play music and, like, and sing and stuff like what we've heard here this morning? Give the band a hand for what they do. They work hard uh, to uh, provide an atmosphere and songs and lyrics and stuff to help us be drawn closer to God and to worship. And uh, I'm, thankful. I'm thankful for all of them that they're able uh, to do that. We are continuing our series in the book of Philippians, and we're going to continue in just a moment with the last few verses of chapter 1. But I want to remind you as we're going through this, and hopefully, uh, hopefully you've at least read through the book of Philippians at least a couple of times by now. It's not very long. It doesn't take very long. And I hope you've done that because I want to remind you as, as we teach and especially as we're doing uh, through the book, but we're focusing on particular verses at a time, that, that all of the verses that we talk about, they're all taken in context of the whole entire book of Philippians. We're, it's not just picking out a few verses uh, here and there, but it's all within the context of what Paul is saying as a whole to this church at Philippi. And so we're going to look at these uh, last uh, three verses of chapter 1 and just be reminded of the things that we've We've heard and we've seen. If you haven't been here for, for some of the other uh, messages that we've, we've taught, you can go online, you can find those messages, and you can listen to those or, or download them uh, and listen to them somewhere else as you're traveling or working out or whatever you do. You can have access to be able to listen to that. So I would encourage you to do that. I know a lot of our, uh, so our life groups are also uh, studying this along with the series that we're preaching. So you're coming here and kind of hearing some things on Sunday morning, but then you're able to be in your life group and be able to talk maybe more specifically about an idea or two having to do with what was mentioned or what's in those verses and have people share back and forth about what that means to them and that kind of thing. So I know that's always helpful. Um, but in context with what, what in the whole book of Philippians um, and finishing up with these last few verses, to, uh, turn to chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you might have it on the phone or... Uh, you've got it on a tablet, or you've got, as Cliff says, a real Bible with pages <laughs> in it. <laughs> you know, one of those old, old-timey, old-fashioned kind, you know, we call it. You can do that, too. But uh, read with me, if you would, the last three verses, starting in verse 27 of, of chapter 1. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent... I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, I, I don't always, when I speak, uh, try to give a bunch of background or kind of history of stuff, but I want to share just a little bit of stuff with you because I think it's, it's important with these last uh, three verses to really 
maybe understand a little more the context of what's going on and understand it within the way that that Paul was writing to these people. But in in the in the in the Greek language, all of those verses that we just read. That is, that's one sentence in the Greek. It's all just one sentence. It's not broken up by anything. It's just one sentence in, in, in the Greek language. And within that sentence, there are some verbs within there. But there is one main verb in this sentence that the rest of that sentence focuses on. It hinges on that. Everything that's said, everything that's interpreted through, through these verses, it's all hinged on this one verb, one of the main, the main verb. That's in there. So everything is brought together and able, uh, as far as understanding, as far as we think about application, uh, is all hinged on this one main verb. And it's used uh, here in only one other place in the Bible, this particular form of this word. And the verb is to live. And you see that at the very beginning. Now, in this, in this uh, translation, it's translated as life. It says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that's that word to live. And that's, that's kind of what these verses hinge on and what they, what they focus on. Now, that's important for a couple of reasons. Because, again, as you read the rest of that, everything is kind of interpreted through that main verb of how we are living and what we are doing, how we are living our lives. Now, in the, in the ancient Greek culture... The idea of living somewhere or to live was really kind of associated with the idea of like being a citizen of a free state. So, um, so if you would if you would say where do you live, somebody would say I live, you know, I live in South Carolina, I live in Kentucky, I live, you know, we would say where we live. And in this ancient Greek, the idea was that to live was associated with being a citizen. Of a free state. And not just someone who dwells there. But someone who is actively pursuing what it means to be a citizen in that state. They were actively participating in what was going on in that state. They didn't just reside there. They were an active, living, thriving part of what made that state a state. It was a part of their life. It wasn't just a place to live. It was who they were, and they participated, and they were active, and they were uh, fully engaging in what was going on in that state as they lived out their life. Now, now that's that's kind of uh, that's important. Now, if if you take later on, we'll hear in chapter three of Philippians, verse twenty, Paul reminds us that our citizenship is not here, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so if you can kind of merge those ideas together as a context of understanding maybe a little bit better of the importance of this main verb, to live, Paul is basically saying that living our life worthy of the gospel is not something that we do passively. It's not just a place that we say we reside, but living as a citizen of heaven that Paul talks about, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that it's not something done passively, but we live out our life in an active way, participating fully in what God has to offer through what it means to be one of His children and a part of the a citizen in heaven. So He's writing to the Philippians. He's talking about 
living out their life. And he's writing the letter to the people in Philippi, which is the church there at Philippi, which I think is just, uh, you know, logical. Maybe we can make that, that connection that what he is saying to them is you should be actively living out your citizenship as being a citizen of heaven, and you're doing it through being a part of the church at Philippi. That's where you live. That's where you reside. That's where you should be active. That's where you should be fully engaged in what's going on. So, according to the uh, uh, Scripture and thinking about what Paul is saying, what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Because that's the way he starts out to live a life worthy of the gospel. Paul gives two measurements, and I'll get to each one of them specifically in just a minute, but there's two things that he mentions uh, in, those, in those first verses uh, that he talks about. He talks about standing firm in one mind and spirit and striving side by side. Those are the two things that Paul mentions. So if you wanted to take, uh, as he's sending a letter back to them, if they wanted to take a measurement of saying, hey, Paul's saying we should live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we doing? Are we doing that? How would we know if we're doing that? Paul says, here's a way to know. There's two things that you can measure by. And here are the two things that he says there. Are you standing firm in one mind and spirit? And are you striving side by side? Those are two very, very important things. Again, attached to that main verb to live. Are you living in such a way that you are standing firm in one mind and one spirit? And are you living out your life in such a way through the context of being a part of the church at Philippi to where you are of one mind and you're striving side by side? That's the way that they could tell. And Paul says, hey, I hope you're doing that because whether I'm here or whether I'm not, I want to hear that this is what's going on with you guys to be encouraging to them and let them know. So... So I, I would like to translate that to us and to say, how do we know if we're living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Now, if you were just to answer that question out and, out and about somewhere, go downtown Greer or, or somewhere and just ask some random people, if they are church folks not necessarily referencing this particular scripture, you would probably hear things like, well, I'm going to go to church a lot. And I'm going to try to be nice to people. And there would be this long laundry list of things in our minds that we would come up with that make us feel like we were worthy living a life that was worthy of the gospel. You know, I'm telling people about Jesus. All, all good things. But in this context, Paul narrows it down. He says, hey, there's just these two things. There's just these two things that you can measure. So let's look at them individually. One of them is, is standing firm. If you you got your... Uh, information guide there you got a place on the back for notes if you want to uh, jot some things down and just this this idea of being standing firm now the thing about reading the bible is that although we have great translations it's not possible for us to read without filtering it through our own understanding and our own culture and our own way of life. It's just not possible to do that. So when I say standing firm, a lot of images may come to mind for you and that, to help you understand what does standing firm mean. You may think strong and standing still and those kinds of things. And those would probably be exactly what Paul's talking about. But again, to understand that th that the word that's used there, he's using a battle language, which a lot of us are not really familiar with, uh, unless you have 
been at war or you have experienced that type of thing. But he's using a battle language of, of soldiers as if a soldier is, is standing firm who refuses to budge regardless of what happens around him. You know, the thing that comes to mind, and I'm sure Paul was not thinking of this, but I am in this culture, and so I try to think of things that might be similar. But, you know, I always think of those British soldiers who stand at the castle gate with the big funky-looking hats on, right? And they always have this face, and they can't laugh, and they can't smile, and they can't do anything, and they can't move. You know, they're just supposed to be like the toy soldiers. And that is firmly planted, not willing to budge, no matter what. It doesn't matter what happens. And so Paul kind of uses that language of, of like a battle language of, of the idea of, hey, you need to be standing firm like a soldier who is at battle, who is willing to stand up for his cause, not flinching, not willing to move, not willing to be moved, not willing to fluctuate, not willing to do anything, but stand and hold his spot because of what he is fighting for is so important, he's not going to let anything happen. He's not going to budge. Now, that's not passive language, is it? <laughs> that's not just like, hey, you know, pull up a chair, sit down, ride the faith out, everything will be cool, God loves everybody, everything's awesome. Paul is saying, listen, if you want to know if you're living a life worthy of the gospel, one of the things that needs to be happening as a church is you guys need to be standing strong, standing firm. And then he say, adds on, in one mind and spirit. Now, as good old church folks, immediately we would want to say, yeah, the Holy Spirit. We're all united by the Holy Spirit. Paul's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the human spirit. He's talking about standing firm being like-minded, having one mind. Like, we're in this thing together. We're all on the same page. We, we have a common thing that we're working toward. We all understand that. We're, we're, on, we're in unity with one another. And it's functioning with a common spirit. Like, if, if you had ten people up here and you ask us all, hey, what are y'all doing? Why are y'all doing that? You'd get the same answer from every single person that we're in this thing together. We're standing strong, and we know why we're standing strong. We're all on the same page. We're not bickering and fighting with each other. We're not distracting each other. We're not talking behind each other's back. We are united and of like mind and spirit, and we are prepared, and we are ready. And that, that's strong language that he, he uses. It's similar to, uh, you don't have to turn there, but on the screen, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Galatians 5.1 that we use often as we talk about what's going on with freedom. And it's the same kind of concept. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That same kind of image is that Christ has set you free. Don't dilly-dally around. Stand firm because of what he has done. Stand firm with him. And then, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but just as a reference, you may look at it sometime in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3, and some of the ones that follow there. You may be familiar uh, with what Paul talks about, uh, putting on the armor of God. And I like what he says there. He says, you know, basically, after you've done all this and after you've done everything you can to stand, he says, basically, keep standing. After you've done all you think you can do to stand, you know, Take a break, you deserve it. You've worked hard. 
it's been a tough life. You've put up with a lot of stuff. You've served on the setup team for nine years. <laughs> Scott Green, maybe the only one can. He's been from the beginning, right? But the idea of standing firm, and that's the same concept in Ephesians, is once you've done everything you can do to stand, what's left to do, then you keep standing. It's, it's a strong language that, he, that he's used there. So that, that's that one concept of standing firm in one mind and spirit. And then there's this other thing that he, that he throws in there, and he says, striving side by side. Striving side by side. Now, you may have a, a translation that, says, that translates the word striving as struggling. That's also one of the, tra- one of the words that's used to communicate what, what that concept is. But striving or struggling side by side. Now, this isn't necessarily a battle-type war language, but this is an athletic-type language, which we all understand, right? Anybody watch any football games yesterday? I didn't. I would just raise my hand so you would follow me and raise your hand. Athletic. We, we're into that. It, this, is an, this is a concept of teamwork. That we're, we're standing, we're striving side by side, we're locking arms, that we are a team. It's not a team of everybody is an individual. It is a bunch of individuals who come together to make up one team. It's not a team of individuals, right? So anybody who knows anything about sports, who knows about anything about a sports team that wants to win, what do all of the coaches talk about? What is the big emphasis in everything that's talked about when you talk about teamwork is that we should work together, right? There's no I in team. That's what they say, right? So it's, it's that idea of we're in this together. We are striving, struggling side by side. We're, we're on a team. We're shooting for the same goal. We're trying to hit the same mark. We're all on the same page. We're doing this together um, um, as a team. Now, again, as a team, first of all, a body of believers. Second of all, more specifically, the body of believers at Philippi, right? That's important. Don't lose that thought. It's not Paul just writing a generic letter to whosoever will. It is him writing a letter in that idea of, I am writing this letter to this church in this area to these people who belong to this church. And now we have the benefit of being able to read this and apply that to, to our lives and make sense of that. So, so why does he use this battle language and why does he use this teamwork type language to try and communicate that? Uh, I think the thing that I think or the reason that I think is that he mentions in those verses that we read at the beginning is that he mentions that we are in a battle and that we are in a struggle and that there are people and there are opponents and there's specifically one opponent who's against everything that we would try to do as a church, right? So we are in a battle. It is a spiritual battle. And so Paul is serious about it. He's not just saying, oh, this will be okay, you know, just... Y'all just do what you can. Y'all show up every now and then, have some good things and do this, and everything will be all right. He's saying, listen, you're in a battle, and you need to know that. And the way you're going to survive that battle is you're going to stand together. You're going to be like-minded. You're going to lock arms, and you guys are going to go at this as a team because you are most successful when you are going to be working together and against the enemy instead of working against each other and trying to fight the enemy. So that's very important. 
So, so here, here's the concept that I want you to think about with, with all of that is that, and, and I read this somewhere, and I don't know where I read it, but it said, we best stand our ground when we are struggling. Let that sink in for just a second. We best stand our ground when we are struggling or when we are striving. And here's the, way, here's the only way that I could maybe make sense of that. If I were to have somebody come up on the stage and we were just talking and uh, even when Cliff was just interviewing Gary there a while ago, Gary didn't feel threatened by Cliff. Gary knew he was going to be communicating a few things to you and he's holding his microphone and he's holding his guitar and Gary's not feeling threatened. He doesn't think there's a problem and Cliff is standing here as Gary is talking. If all of a sudden out of the blue, very easily, Cliff probably could have went... Boom! And pushed Gary over. That would have been awesome if you had done that. No, just kidding, Gary. Because Gary would have got up and slapped you upside the head with a guitar, probably. But in love, and then say, rise in Jesus' name, right? But doesn't that make sense? When, when, when I'm just going about in life, and I'm walking around, and everything's normal, I, I'm, just, I'm just kind of functioning on my own regular balance, whatever that those capabilities might be. I'm not feeling threatened. I'm not concerned about anything. I'm just walking through life. And it says that, that, we, that we do best, that we best stand our ground when we are striving. Now, if I had you come up here and uh, I did to you what I said Gary could have done to Cliff and we were just talking all of a sudden I pushed you over and you fell and you stood back up. If you didn't kill me and allow me to continue to talk, what do you think is going to be your reaction as I move a little closer to you the next time? You're going to brace yourself, aren't you? You're going to be ready. If, somebody, if somebody's feeling threatened and maybe they think they're going to get in a fight or something, no, nobody enters into a fight just by, you know, you know, hey, I think I'm fixing to get in a fight with these three guys, you know. Let, maybe I can take them. No, you're, you know, you're going to be, you're going to brace yourself. You're going to tense yourself up you're going to tighten your muscles you're going to be you're going to be focused in on the threat that's coming towards you and so that makes to me that makes sense of that we best stand our ground when we are struggling when there's not a struggle when we're not aware of anything that's coming from the outside when things seem to just kind of be normal and flowing normal we have a tendency to be relaxed which makes sense because we can't walk around tense you know all the time you know your muscles would cramp up right but the idea of when, as, as believers and as he's writing to this church and he says to them that, that not only do, do we need to be of like mind and like spirit, but we need to stand firm. You, we've got an opponent coming at us and we can't attack him just kind of half, haphazardly not being prepared. So he's saying, hey, let's get together. Let's be prepared now. This is a rhetorical question, but you're allowed to answer for the sake of the sermon, right? Am I stronger by myself or am I stronger with ten other people who has my back, who's standing with me, who are also prepared and standing firm and ready for battle? Which one? Uh, come, look at me, come on. It only takes one other per- maybe a half of other person, right? Yeah, I'm stronger, obviously, if I have other people. So in your mind, maybe take that, take that mental image of that, not of this, 
take that mental image of Paul is talking to a church. He's talking to a group of local people who live in the area of Philippi who have chosen to bond themselves together and call themselves a local representation of God's church. Not unlike a group of people in Greer, Taylor's, and wherever else you come from who have chosen on your own. Nobody's twisted your arm. Nobody's made you do it. We have chosen to bond ourselves together in this local body, representation of the body of Christ, and we call the church Freedom Fellowship. And it is the same thing as if Paul was writing to them, I think he is writing to us. That he wants us to be like-minded, of one spirit. He wants us to stand firm, and he wants us to be prepared. Not for the sake of being prepared, but so that the gospel can be promoted. There's a couple of times in there he says, for the sake of Christ. Right? So, kind of make the transition from... Uh, and maybe it makes it more real to us if you don't think this way. That, oh yeah, that's what Paul was writing to the Philippians. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, I read that. You know, that, that was good for them. We can take that and we can apply that to what's going on here. So here's the question that, that, that I would say. Are you, are we living a life that's worthy of the gospel? And here's the good thing. We have two things to measure that by. And, and for this purpose, in this context, with this scripture, in what Paul is writing here, if you want to answer the question according to these scriptures, the only things that we have to answer is, are we like-minded in unity and are we standing firm side by side? Are we doing that? Have we locked arms together? Are we standing strong? So, so, so here's the challenge, like, Cliff said, you know, this will be one of the weirdest endings you've ever had, maybe opposed to the one I'm fixing to give. Here's the challenge for our church. Now, if you maybe we don't have very many visitors from other churches, so maybe there's nobody here from another church, but this this is this is this is for us. And and if you say, Oh, I come to that church and they don't even talk about salvation and all that, yes, we do. You just caught one where we're talking about Standing together as believers in, in this context. So here's the thing, the challenge. If you are a believer, first of all, and then second of all, if you consider Freedom Fellowship to be your church. If you're out and about somewhere and somebody in the community asks you, hey, would you go to church anywhere? And you say, yeah, we go, we go to Freedom Fellowship. And, and, and you're able to say that comfortably and you feel like this is your church. That Freedom Fellowship is your church. I would say to you, are you, within the context of this body, based on what Paul has said, are you living a life worthy of the gospel? Now, if you think about that, here's some things that I think about. One, I know that a lot of you are. I know you are. And it's awesome. And it's awesome to see you come in here Week after week after week, and you set this stuff up, and you set the children's stuff up, and you greet the people as they come in, and you sign up to volunteer when we have things like Turn It Up and Halloween Hoopla and other things that we do. And it's almost like, yeah, whatever Freedom's doing, I'm going to be a part of that. 
and you're on board and you get it, you understand, and you're the kind of people that make what we do happen. And so we say, thank you for doing that. And, and you, you've got it. You understand that. All of the different things that you do, you give. And you don't question it. Gary mentioned about it, Gary, a blessing or something to give or, you know, golly, who talks like that? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Instead of, oh, church always wanting my money. It's like, boy, this is, this is a joy for me to give. I want to be a part of that. That's part of that like-minded and like-spirit and striving and locking arms and standing side-by-side mentality uh, that, that Paul is talking about. So I know there are a lot of you that get it, and we're so thankful for, for you guys and what you do and how you help. And, and when you leave here, you go out into the community and you speak well of this church. And, yeah, maybe, maybe the microphone went woo one morning or something happened and everything wasn't just exactly right or maybe the message didn't just smack you right between the eyes that day. But you leave out of here and you talk to people in a positive way and you tell them you love this church and you, you are thankful for being a part of this church and you're on board with what's going on and you invite people to come here. That is that mentality of standing together and being like-minded that is living a life worthy of the gospel through this local church. So we see that. And man, it's, it's awesome to be able to see that and to know that you can say, golly, you know, sometimes I read the Bible and I feel like I just get slapped upside the head all the time, but maybe today I can say, woo, I'm right on, man. <laughs> you know, score one for me. We're, we're, we're doing it. We're trying our best. And listen, it's not just about being busy. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, everybody who does everything, you know, God loves you more than the people who don't. I'm not saying that. And, and we, we have purposely from the beginning not tried to activity you to death to where there's something for you to do every single day, every day of the week, all kinds of things. That's not what I'm talking about. But the idea of, yes, we get it. We've bought into it. We're on board with what's going on. We don't want to just talk about our church does life groups. We can say our church does life groups, and here's the life group that I'm in. We don't talk about people who say, yeah, we have big community events. Freedom Fellowship, yeah, our church, we do all kinds of stuff downtown, and it's awesome. We say we can do that, we do those things, and here's where I'm involved in helping with those things. It's more than just talking about What's going on? So as an encouragement to those of you who are doing that, we say thank you for what you do. Literally, we cannot do it without you. We need you. And we want you. But here's the other thing. We don't want you just for the sake of saying that you're busy. And we've said, we say this a lot, especially when it comes to giving. But in this concept of being of like mind and spirit and striving together... I feel like what we can say is we don't want something from you. We want that for you. Because you can come and you can sit in these seats and you can hear everything that everybody's preaching and you can leave and not think about it again and you can never be in a life group and never serve and never help, but you can talk about people about what the church does. But you won't experience what Paul is talking about, living a life worthy of the gospel until you get on board and be like-minded in spirit and that you lock arms with us and you stand with us and strive to promote the gospel. You're missing out. 
Not in a negative way. Not shame on you. But it's not shame on you. We need more help. Shame on you. You should be doing better. It's we want this for you. You're not, if you're not involved in a, in a way that you're of like mind and that you're standing firm and that you're, you say, yes, this is my church and I'm willing to do some things for my church and I'm on board. If you're not doing that, you've yet to experience what it's like to live in a community called the church. You're, you just come and you just visit. And it could be good for you. I'm not saying it's bad. But if you're not doing, striving to do what Paul's talking about as we live a gospel worthy of the gospel, it, it's really, it's not a fair representation to you at all of even what church is about. Because you're just getting the Sunday morning thing. So, so here's the challenge for those of you who are maybe not there yet. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying shame on you and don't ever come back. And we want you here. But we, more than that, we want you to understand what Freedom Fellowship is about. And Freedom Fellowship, there is so much more to Freedom Fellowship than just what's being taught on Sunday morning. So much more. I mean, you know, Cliff speaks more than I do, and, and, and me and Ben, we, we fill in here and there. You know, and a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, Right? I mean, if you just hang out long enough because of just the amount of times we speak, there's bound to be something that could be good out of that, right? But what I'm saying is, is there's so much more to Freedom Fellowship than what you might experience here on Sunday morning. And if you're not in a life group, and if you're not serving and if you're not being involved in the things that we do outside of here to promote the gospel and to tell people about Jesus you have less of an experience of what it means to be part of a church. And that's what we want for you. You know what? Sometime in the next year or so, when that building is up on the new property, and the day that we have that first big celebration of meeting in that building as a church, I want you to walk into that and not say, look at what they have done. But I want you to walk into that feeling like, hey, I made a sacrifice. Look at what we have done. What a shame to be able to walk into that and for you to say, yeah, you know, all that time they were talking about giving and I meant to give something, but... It just never was a priority. And you may feel in there in a day that you should feel happy and excited. And you may feel guilty because you didn't give when you knew you should have. Don't let that happen. Know that, that when we talk about a building, when we talk about a, a program, when we talk about hoopla, when we talk about turn it up, when we talk about some things we're going to talk about this next year, about maybe being involved some more with some of the schools and doing some of the things that we do, that's not just talking about what they do. This is your church. And for you to be able to say, hey, I can't do everything because my schedule won't let me, but here's the things that I can do. Man, I am plugged in and I'm ready to go. Look at what we're doing. Now, obviously, look at what we're doing because God is behind it. It's not like look at us, right? So, so to understand there's so much more to freedom than, than, what's, than just what's being being taught so here here's here's the challenge that i want you to think about and i'm gonna i'm gonna close and i hope you understand where i'm coming from as i thought about this message thought about it thought about it thought about it said don't want it to come across as it's being 
Shame on you. It's negative. It's not. It's the idea of, according to what Paul has said, we know the difference in the lives of people who plug in and who are like-minded and who lock arms and who say, we are in this together. We know the difference in the life of somebody who does that versus somebody who might just come and sit on Sunday morning every now and then when you don't have anything else to do. You're missing out, and we want that experience for you to be drawn closer to God, to feel like you are a part of something that makes a difference. You're a part of something much larger than yourself, and none of us could do by ourselves what all of us can do together. So we want that for you. But here's the challenge. I would just say this. Now I'll ask you the question as Paul started out. Are you, in the context of Freedom Fellowship, this is your church, can you say, based on those criteria of living in one mind, with one mind and one spirit and striving side by side, under those two criteria, can you say, based on that, I am living a life worthy of the gospel? Now, whether you're a partner, a member, a tender, a uncle of an attender, or it doesn't matter. That, that status is irrelevant. The fact is, we have some people who call themselves partners, and we have other people who have never became officially a partner with the church, and the people, some of the people who are not officially partners, uh, they, they give more, they do more, they're more excited about the church than some people who have their name on the list as a partner. So it's not about a status of where you are. It's just a question, based on those criteria, can you say that you're living a life worthy of the gospel? And if you can, again, that's a pat yourself on the back. This is awesome. You know, thank you, God, for allowing me to do that. But maybe you're saying, you know what, based on those criteria, I'd pretty much say I'm pretty much unplugged. I'm kind of coming for the thing on Sunday morning, and I check that off my list, and then, you know, I don't think about it again until next Sunday morning if I think about it again. There's more to it for you, for you than that. So can you say you're living life worthy of the gospel? And this is what I want you to do. If you just close your eyes. And as you think about that question, you know the answer to that already. You've answered either yes or no. Or in your mind somehow you're trying to justify some things. But you're answering that question already that I've asked. And would you, just between you and God, would you let God deal with you on the answer to that question and either in encourage you in a way to say, hey, keep it up. And, and I know, listen, I know sometimes it's hard. And I know sometimes you struggle. And I didn't get into the last part of that verse, and it's not limited to, but it includes this idea of God. Paul said, when you struggle for, for the sake of Christ, it's a blessing. It's his grace to you. It, he wants more for us than just to believe. He said he wants us to also to suffer. Which means sometimes that means, yes, this is hard, but man, it's worth it. I put up with stuff for a long time that doesn't even hold a candle to the power of what it means to be involved with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you're you're there, just close your eyes and answer that question. And then ask yourself this question. God, what things in my life would need to change in order... For me to be able to say, I am living out my life worthy of the gospel 
in this context of being a part of Freedom Fellowship. What would need to change? And I would challenge you as God talks to you with that and deals with you with that and you think about that, that you don't walk away and let things just continue to be the same. Maybe it means that you start saying, okay, I need to be in that life group. We've talked about it for years and we just, we just think we're so busy and our schedules are so crazy and what I found out with my schedule is I will do exactly what I want to. And if it's that important, I will make a way to make it happen. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you've never served anywhere. And at the end of the service, when everything's done, you're going to see a video, and then there's an opportunity for you to walk out to that table and say, okay, it's time for me to stop watching everybody else do everything. It's time for me to jump on board. Where's the place where I can, where I can fit in? Now, I don't know what it will mean for you. And for some of you, it's just an encouragement for God to keep on keeping on and doing what you're doing. But I want to tell you, I'm excited for the possibility because I know there are probably, and I can't see you all faces because I don't have my glasses on. But there are people here. There are probably a few, at least a few people. And you're just unplugged and you're just showing up for Sunday morning. There's more to it for you than that. You are missing out on so much. God, thank you that we have your word. Thank you for for people like Paul that you've used in the past with people who have gathered as a church and for his encouragement to them to stand firm, to be like-minded, to get on the same page, to promote the gospel. It's for the sake of Christ that we do it. Nobody here wants a building named after them. Nobody here wants a pat on the back. Nobody here wants to be lifted up. We want to be able to do this for the sake of Christ, that as we are stronger, we have a better opportunity to fight against the devil and to promote your gospel. That's what we want. Thank you for these people. Thank you. I pray, Lord, that you take the words that I've tried to speak this morning and that you encourage them and that you make it uncomfortable where it needs to be uncomfortable and let it be encouraging even more where it needs to be. But thank you for that opportunity and ask your blessing as we strive to live out our lives worthy of the gospel. In Jesus' name.